welcome to the Space Biff Spacecast. As always, my name is Dan Thoreau, your host, and I am joined today by a very special guest. This is someone I'm excited to speak with. This is someone who sent me two of her games recently, Janice Turner. Welcome, Janice. Thank you for having me on today. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. And excuse any um, noisy children shouting in the background. It actually fills my heart with a lot of joy because you, so you have two daughters and I do as well. And um, my daughters aren't up yet, but I'm sure they will be soon. So we'll probably have uh, happy shouting on both ends. Excellent. I'm sure they'll have a, want to have a great chat at some point. Yes. They can interview each other while we talk. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's what's been happening on um, work calls recently. So you mentioned on both in the manuals for your games and on your Twitter bio and so forth, that you are, are a physicist and an inventor. Are are you working as those things uh, now, or what, what's your situation like? So I'm still, I guess, a physicist, so I work with radiation detection. Um, but I work more on the requirements and management side of it but I still work in the physics domain because of where it Mm -hmm. is so I I still need to understand what's going on Um, so I'm still using my physics in terms of inventing less so I did quite a lot of that with when I did a engineering doctorate Um, so I was looking at 2d wireless communications which I could talk your arm off about if uh, you ever wanted to. Um, but it was, a, it was a different way to communicate wirelessly um, over surfaces rather than just through the air around you to make it a bit more secure. Um, and so that was what I did uh, my uh, thesis in, and but in a commercial environment. So we made sort of test kits and demo kits, which um, ended up getting sold to customers. Um, oh, okay. Which was, yeah, so I left just as the sort of first sales kit went out the door. Um, which oh, is cool. uh, yeah, which was fantastic and really interesting part of my life. And then I kind of moved on, and but I still have, I guess, innovations close to my heart. I really want to still look at how we can do things better, make things better, do things differently. So we was looking at that sounds really really simple, but was looking at like a a smartwatch interface for police for readouts from detectors, as opposed to having to have things uh, on handheld or on tablet and that sort of thing, having it as a wristwatch and as looking at best practices for user interface design in that those kind of high-pressure environments. And so it's a different kind, I guess, of in- inventing, but it's still really quite interesting. I seem to focus a lot more on the human interaction with devices now and looking at it from that perspective, which is really quite interesting. So when you say... um. Uh, like high stress situations, would it be reading their biometrics or? Uh, it's radiation detection. So it's an environment where there's radiation and people are just intrinsically scared of the thought of radiation. So no matter how much or how little there are, um, people immediately feel stressed and get stressed um, right. at the thought of it. Um, so it, it's just that they sort of high pressure environments where you, you're, you're fearful. You know, the reason my mind goes to biometrics is my sister is a biomedical engineer. Oh, okay. And so she does a lot of, she's also a type 1 diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so she does a lot of interfaces with um, like insulin pumps and blood sugar reading. And that type of invention, even though it's very incremental, 
has made a huge difference in her life. I say, yes, small tweaks can make huge differences with something being intuitive and not intuitive. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of conference calls. Are you are you on a lockdown the way we are as well? Yeah, we've been on lockdown since uh, end of March, um, around that sort of time. So yes, we're working from home. What does that look like for you? Are you doing all right with it or is it a, is it a stiff challenge for you? We're very lucky because we've got plenty of outside space um, and we oh, moved good. to a bigger house just before Christmas. So um, we've got more space than we were used to. So I think of all the people, we've been very lucky. And in terms of work, I was working mostly with the US and I was mostly working with video calls before the lockdown. So the only change is now I'm working at home. Um, the, the biggest challenge really is, I think, sort of trying to fit the homeschooling around work and it's just it's ex- pretty exhausting but um that's probably yeah. the only bit but i think like, we can't really complain we're much better off than a lot of people out there so let me ask you about your games um you recently sent me two games assembly and censored ghosts and let me say i loved what you did with these games janice i Thank was you. very excited i am always so happy to play games that are from uh, smaller publishers. Um, in your case, it sounds like so. It's, you kickstarted both of these yourself. Do you yes. ship them yourself? And we ship the UK orders ourselves, and then we use Fulfillment Centre for International. Um, yeah, but yeah, we 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 ship, we ship the UK ones just because it's we just wanted to try and give our domestic sort of customers or domestic backers. Um, a, a sensible price because it, it you always end up paying a lot being in the UK and we can ship them cheaper than anyone else. So um, we we take that on, which is something I hate. I hate shipping. <laughs> <laughs> I have come to absolutely resent it. Um, but yeah, uh, we ship we ship all the UK stuff ourselves. And if you buy anything direct from us now, then it's it's us shipping. That sounds uh, like a lot of work that I <laughs> would do. Luckily, it's like putting labels on envelopes. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So so it sounds like you're a proponent of child labor. <laughs> no, a voluntary um, child play oh. therapy, yes. They like okay. stickers. <laughs> That's a good way to phrase it. Yes, they, they please, mummy, please, mummy, can I put the stickers on, please? Yes, of course <laughs> you can. <laughs> and then you find that they've stuck six ML stickers on an envelope. Yeah. Rather than just the one. But hey, they love it. Why don't we uh, talk about Assembly and Sensor Ghosts for a little bit? Um, Especially, let's describe them for those of our listeners who maybe haven't heard of them before. How would you describe in a couple of minutes or as long as you need uh, what Assembly is about? So Assembly, I always start with theme because uh, for me, that's how I find it, it makes a game easier to remember to play if they, if you can link it back to story. So you're on a space sure. station. Interestingly, a deadly virus has broken out, um, slightly worse than coronavirus because everyone is dead except you and maybe a friend. Um, so you are trying to escape. Um, the space station is in lockdown. Who would have thought, having designed this many years ago, this might resonate so much with life today? Um, the station right. is in lockdown. You are trying to escape the quarantine of the computer on board that thinks you are a danger to humankind, and she's trying to prevent you. But it's a spaceship factory, and if you can build a spaceship, then you can escape and you can fly back to Earth, or at least you can attempt to until you get onto the next game. Um, 
so you are building a spaceship, which that all sounds sort of quite grandiose in terms of what you're doing, but in its real simple core, the game as goes is basically matching those different icons and colours to different rooms, but you are very limited about how you can move it. So it's a circular ship and you can only rotate things or swap things or draw new ones out. And every now and again, the computer gets in there and she messes everything up. So you need to make sure that you are working efficiently and looking at how much time that you have left. Um, So it's a puzzle game. Um, In one player, it's much, much more of a puzzle game. In a two-player, you add in the limited communications, which adds a secondary layer onto the puzzle because it's trying to understand what your partner's doing as well as you to work together, but with these communication limits put in place, which makes it quite a different game. And then recently we also added a three to four player one, which makes it a lot more strategic, interestingly. Um, So you have... You're solving the puzzle essentially twice simultaneously, but with additional players. And um, because you're sometimes looking about what other people have in their hands as well. By looking, I mean sort of discovering. And you might not be asking for something for your turn. So it's much more strategic. But essentially, you're building a spaceship by getting some nice chunky tokens and getting the right cards. But you're very limited on how you do that. And you're very limited on time. That time crunch is very key to it. Um, I think, so I've played this quite a bit with my wife, and I think that we have had three or four plays where we were only maybe two or three actions shy of of victory when the game ran out of time. And I, I understand asphyxiated us. Is that what the AI did to us? Yes, she was venting the oxygen, so unfortunately you were asphyxiated. Well, so it goes. And Sensor Ghosts is a direct sequel why don't you tell us about that as well? So in Sensor Ghost, you've built your ship, and now you've got to get, to get it back to Earth. However, there is an asteroid field in the way, and uh, the computer has got on board, and it basically infected your um, sensing systems on, the, on your ship. And you don't know exactly what's out there in front of you, and there are all sorts of hazards, and you've got to carefully unpick a path to get back to Earth um without dying essentially without running into a big lump of rock and blowing your ship up and so it's very very different so this one is a, a grid of cards it has we've tried to keep some things the same so the play methods mechanism is like play a card do what it says draw a card um a kept between mm-hmm. the two you again you've got limited time and about going through the deck and those sort of things those mechanics are kept the same but you are each time you move onto a new card in this grid you are flipping it over and revealing the other side. And it's what is on this other side is what you actually encounter. And there's lots of different mechanisms in the game to help you explore and discover what's on the other side. But these cards flip multiple times. And in the early stages, it's a bit of a memory game. And as you learn how to play it more, it becomes a lot more strategic because you're sort of understanding the mechanisms of the game a lot more. You're not trying to remember how to play it, and then there are also lots of little clues throughout it dotted so that if you play the right strategy, you're never remembering more than about three to four cards at any one time because the cards have different fronts and backs and you always start with all the fronts up and all the backs down. You have some memory cubes. You There are some stats in there if you like stats about what the probability of each card is likely to be, but really 
the only probability you really need is on the the insta-death kind of cars, which there's not many of them. And they are there purely to try and stop you taking risks. So you can play the game in two ways. You can play it carefully and potentially run out of oxygen, or sorry, fuel in this case, because your deck is the fuel. Or you can risk it and potentially blow up your ship by going running straight into an asteroid. And so there's this careful mix in between of knowing when to take the risk and when it's safe to take the risk, right? like charging your shields and the ship and that sort of thing, and when to play it safe. And it has this sort of uh, interesting middle ground where you need to do a little bit of both in order to get to the end and win. I'm relieved to hear you say that because in many of our plays of Censored Ghosts, we have reached that point where we have a choice between moving away from our objective safely or taking another step toward it. But with about a, you know, we, we spend most of our time with your uh, chart open. Um, so like a 33% chance of just instant death. Uh, so I'm glad that we were intentionally in that situation instead of just doing it because we were so blundering. Yeah, no, so the idea, the, the whole point of the those instant death cars is just to stop people just ramming the board and just jumping every single time. It's the idea is to try and make you think, do I really want to take this risk now? Is now the time? And do I know enough about the board that, so that like, there's one like double-sided red cars and when you've worked out which that one is, then it helps you work out what the rest of them are likely to be. And if there's a red face up and you know the other ones, you know the other side is, not going to kill you if you've got shields kind of thing. So there's little things where you get familiarity with the deck means that you'll know when's the time, right time to take the risk, which does unfortunately mean you need to play it quite a lot and lose quite a lot before you get to that stage. Um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a negative, but watching people play, it tends to take about four playthroughs to get to a win on the easy mode. Oh, um, okay. So the, the, you get a little bit closer, and about four is where you have a, a good chance of maybe maybe winning at that point, or at least getting very close. When you were designing Assembly, did you always intend to make a sequel? Was that always on your mind? No, it was actually in, in the comments um, um, on the first Kickstarter, a couple of people said, oh, it would be loved, great to see a sequel. And so we used that to actually set ourselves design limits. So it was almost like our own little mini challenge that, it was going to be set after, so it's going to have to be the journey. And how could we use this thematic limits and also pull some of the stuff across from assembly into it to create a new game? So uh, no, it was it was never the plan. It was just something that I guess organically happened as a result of the first Kickstarter, and it okay. was a fun design challenge. Is there going to be another sequel? Or uh, in a way, I'm wondering what that could even be. It might hit too close to home, seeing as how the uh both assembly and sensor ghosts are oddly prescient with their uh virus theme yeah so the, the final one we have started working on um it's pretty much ceased since coronavirus because it's just been manic really um but it's landing your spaceship on earth so you've in um assembly you're escaping um, and building a ship. In Sensor Ghosts, you are collecting a virus sample to help create a vaccine on Earth. So you're getting a nice, raw, pure version of the virus to take back to Earth, and they, otherwise they won't let you land. And then the final one, you're having to land the ship, but you don't want it to blow up because otherwise you have virus samples on board. Um, but it's it's all going to be about 
battling the computer's system to try and get control of the engines to land. So that, oh, that's okay. the plan. So that's that sort of thematic, thematic bit around it. We've got some mechanics. We've got a working prototype, but it's not finessed, as in the number of cards in the deck and all that sort of stuff are not there. But we have all the core mechanics and that sorted. Um, but it hasn't been touched in about two months now. So um, I'm looking forward to going back to try and finishing that. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got got it all there. We think it's about right in terms of where we want to be. And we think it's the right prototype to take forward. And um, hopefully it won't be too close to home because it's it's about landing a ship. And okay. all of the things, the, 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 back, the stuff in the background... At their core, they are very much an abstract game with a theme laid on to help you remember the mechanics. And the virus is um, not really a key to, interestingly, any of them. It's more about the computer trying to... You're battling a computer in every single one of them is probably the key mechanic. As you're right. fighting the computer. Right. It's not like Pandemic, where the virus is at the heart of the narrative. No, no it's it's a, it's the reason why the computer, you're fighting the computer. And the computer is the thing that messes up with all your mechanics everywhere. So it's her that does this scram, annoying scramble in assembly where you went, I love demoing it and sort of they listen to it. And then you get to the end of the first round and then it's like, oh, moment as you pick up all the cards from the table and you shuffle them all up and all their hard work has just sort of come to an end because they didn't do it just in time. And it's, so it's that computer messing throughout is what's the is the key part of the game. It's how you're, you're fighting her to, to overcome her and win. But maybe the computer was right. So, yeah, let me ask you that. Um, in your own internal fiction, was the computer right? <sighs> or has it changed because of the actual pen? <laughs> I, I think the computer was doing exactly what she was programmed to do. She was keeping people safe and uh, she doesn't have that sort of consciousness to differentiate between, I guess, an immunity and working out the risk. She doesn't know if you are infected or not infected. She's not got any testing. All she knows is that you have been exposed to the virus. And if you leave the station, you are likely to expose more people to the virus. So mm-hmm. In doing her job in those very basic terms without going, what if this, what if that? Yes, she was absolutely right. Whether So it then goes down more to, are you the player, right, in trying to escape? Should you be escaping? Should you be trying to do something else? Should you be quarantining yourself for longer and trying to find some other way to survive rather than just heading straight back to Earth? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, I think it, it falls more down onto the player with, with the player's actions are right or not. So it sounds like the AI is not a uh, strong AI in the sense that it's a conscious AI. It's uh, just fulfilling its task well. Yes, it's just absolutely head on wants to fulfill its task and its task is to stop you because it thinks you are a danger. And that's that's all it wants to do. It just wants to stop you and it will do everything it can to stop you. Um, that That's the aim of the computer. It's just very single-minded. I like that. That's an interesting take. So it's, it's almost a... Uh paperclip scenario where it's good it's very good at that one thing but it can't see a broader context exactly so yeah it's just just after it's just just, it needs to fulfill its duty so in the in the game manuals um i think it was for assembly you mentioned that um the birth of your daughter had prompted you to finally release a game um so why don't you tell us a little bit about the genesis of these games? Were you designing games previous to assembly and 
Um, so where did assembly come from? So um, I started designing games when I was on maternity leave with my eldest. Um, it was just something really that I could do was for me, so a bit more of a hobby to feel a bit more like my own person again, having given birth, spent time at home and felt like I didn't really have any hobbies anymore. Um, and sure. it kind of fitted around a child that we were very lucky to have a child that slept a lot. And so <laughs> it gave me something to do. Um, so I, I tried around with a couple of different ideas. And then um, my very first game that I designed quite significantly and quite maturely is called The Maiden Voyage, um, which uses used the same the basic uh, concept art as assembly it had the same sort of layout but it was a much more involved game it was one that took more like 90 minutes to play mm-hmm. and then I realized that I just I was I was going a bit around in circles where I wasn't quite happy with how it was going I, I still like the concept but I just couldn't quite balance it right and I thought well if I'm gonna do in the first game I'm probably better off doing something smaller that I can finish faster and then there was the mint tin design contest on board game geek so i thought i set myself the challenge to enter and do that and that's how assembly was born um i sort of took some of the basics but not the mechanics they're sort of more the aesthetics from the maiden voyage i shifted them over to assembly and designed a new game and it was just i literally was dreaming about what it could be how could i use a circle shape what could it do the next morning i had these great ideas i got up i started playing around with it it seemed to work and that was it I just went from there it did pretty well in the mint tin design contest um it was yeah it did pretty reasonably and then I went back to work and not much happened for a while and then I got um eventually pregnant with number two um in between having got very sick um and then I thought, well, now's the time to maybe publish it. And so we published it while I was on maternity leave with number two. It's just to keep me busy, obviously. <laughs> so you consider yourself a physicist. You consider yourself an inventor. Do you consider yourself a, a game designer as well? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Now I've, I've, got, I've published two. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoy, it's more of a hobby um, than I think necessarily a career. Um, but yeah, you're a game designer too. I especially like that term that you're an inventor. As I was uh, playing the games, I was looking for instances of fidelity that perhaps came from your background. So I was wondering, it, like the station in the first game, is it is it using rotational gravity? Um, or in Sensor Ghosts, you know, the, there's this sense of your ship's inertia yeah. that you have to fight against. Um, were there any Easter eggs like that in your design where your background in physics and invention informed what you were doing with the game? So, yeah, we kind of tried to think about how it would be in the real world. So if in assembly, if you imagine you're actually on a physical assembly line and each of the different rooms are prefabricated blocks, you're not going to be able just to jumble them around. The most likely thing is you are going to rotate everything around the assembly room together because they're all hanging. And as you're bringing them in onto the assembly line from outside it. So it's thinking very much of, I guess, a mechanical, how could you actually physically do this? And that's how the limitations were set in assembly. And again, and it said on sensor ghost, the inertia of the ship, if you're going in one direction and stopping and trying to change direction, well, you're going to have to, it takes more time, it's going to take more energy to do that. And therefore you have that inertia added in there as well to make you think very carefully about 
when is the right time to turn. So yeah, there's, there's those little bits where we try to ground it with reality in some ways, even if it's right at the back, rather than just coming out and say, oh, we can just do anything. It, it helps to keep the design simpler, I think, um, yeah. by grounding it that way. Right. It certainly made it intuitive for yeah. us. Um, so what is, and maybe this is just uh, pure game, but what is what is the boost in sensor ghosts? Is that a physics thing or is it, uh, are you taking advantage of, of a gravity well or is it just is that just pure game so the boost was we couldn't quite work out what to actually to call it it's basically a bit of bit of space that you need to go fast through because it's not safe um so sort of as times evolved it's sort of i think i've got it better than mind what it is it was is a, a piece of space that you just can't stop in because it's not safe and so you have oh, okay. to keep going through it so yeah, it's it's that's why you're going fast, and that's why it's kind of called a boost. You're boosting your edging through it because it's not safe, and you've got to get through quickly. Okay, that's the uh, that's the inverse of what I was thinking. Where I was thinking there was some sort of natural uh, phenomena, na- natural phenomenon that was making me go faster. Because I love the boosts in a gameplay sense, because a lot of the risks I take are based on the boosts. Yeah, you know, absolutely. because they're propelling me forward. No, they're, they're the key to winning, getting enough boosts and getting them right. Yeah. But yeah, but in, I think it's open enough. You can interpret any way you want to. Um, so I think that over time, that's how it's evolved in my mind. I think originally I was actually thinking it was maybe more of a, a natural area that was kind of pushing you to go faster. But I think that's just uh, the original one. It was more like a sort of a, a wormhole little bit through space. I thought, ah, that's not really sufficient reality, but it that was the one thing with the mechanic where we wanted to keep the mechanic and it was how to keep it grounded at the same time. Right. Um, but yeah, either way it was, a, it's a, it's a core mechanic and it, I think it probably can have multiple explanations, but for me it's not, it's really much, it's, it's an unsafe piece of space that you cannot stop in. Now, one thing that's really interested me about both of your games is that I, I think they can very easily be read as games about disability. Um, in Assembly's case, um, you've mentioned that there are um, communication limits, Um, and those communication limits can have different uh, levels of difficulty, so you might be able to ask each other questions, or maybe you can't communicate at all, Um, which to me suggests um, deafness or Mm -hmm. nonverbalness. For instance, with our our daughter, um, we have done, we do sign language. Um, she is not she is not deaf, but we do sign language just because it's no, easy to communicate too. with a child. You do too. Yeah. Um, and in sensor ghost case, blindness um, that you you're kind of groping around a place where you you have impressions of its shape, but you don't necessarily actually know if maybe there's an obstacle right in front of you. Um, w- were you considering disability when you made these games? You've mentioned a background with. Uh, maybe some hurdles of your own with uh, dyslexia. Was that something you were consciously considering? Uh, yes, particularly uh, with assembly. So my mum is um, physically disabled and as was a disability rights campaign and was often out campaigning for disability rights when I was growing up and mm. then set up her own organisation, which was training people um, 
about disability rights so that they could help advise people better. So I was very much immersed in the world, that sort of world. And she also learned some British Sign Language at that age, and I sort of learned some then, and it's, it's still with me from today. Mm. Um, so yes, it very much was a, something I wanted to bring in, sort of how, how could we actually include something like that. So again, also the cards, um, have, and using thick tokens, using we went from mini cards, which was what we originally had, to big cards because of the physical disability. We had feedback that mini cards are very difficult to actually pick up and shuffle, whereas bigger cards are much easier and they can okay. use a shuffle machine. So we actually changed from sending out review copies actually for assembly to the Kickstarter from mini cards to big cards as a result of that. We also had diversity, so the names. We try to use names from around the world rather than just very Western names throughout it. We use silhouettes, so it wasn't clear necessarily on all of them whether they're, some of them whether they're male or female. So you can make your own decision, mm-hmm. and the name isn't very. On so some of them, are not very specific whether it's male or female. Um, so we we had across the board, but we also did signing with with both our children. Um, our our eldest absolutely loved it, and was signing nonstop. And I thought, well, if an 18-month-old can do like 100 signs, then an adult can learn 10 signs to play a game and actually learn something while they're doing it as well. So hopefully, I mean, how useful they are, I don't know. But at the same time, maybe it will let people realise that how easy it is to learn. Um, so, yes, it was very much a conscious effort to try and bring something like that into it. And then our second, our youngest, is um, speech-delayed. So we've been doing signing with her and it's just, if we hadn't done it, I don't know how we would communicate with her, to be honest. And it alleviates a lot of her stress and frustrations that she might have had, um, that we have a a pretty happy little girl, even though she can't always communicate what she wants, she generally can still find a way through signing. Right. And with with Sansa Ghost, um, we wanted to try and keep, what we had learnt from assembly in terms of things like fonts and so again the actual cards the roll cards one side is written and one side is icons so because of dyslexia I find the writing I I, at glance I can't read it but the icons I get straight away but Stu finds much more the writing easier and doesn't like the icons so it gives you the that choice for both sides that it should actually suit both sides if you're icon based or if you prefer writing um, right. Yeah. So there's these little things that we learned along the way, and then color blindness that we checked everything for color blindness, which was quite interesting in assembly because there are like twelve distinct, have to be twelve distinct colors. Plus, then the cards have colors as well, with four different colors there. So um, that was quite an interesting challenge to try and get it so that each of them would be sufficiently differentiated as best we can but then we put the icons on as well to try and give, give that extra layer of differentiation i appreciate that you did that on a couple of levels the first is i for me text is a lot easier to internalize quickly than symbols are yeah um so so that is so that was super helpful i it often i, I play enough games with enough symbols that often i get them mixed up between games um so i appreciated that I like the symbols. I like how they look, but I could flip it over and clarify it. And um, the abilities on the character cards only occur rarely enough that I really just need to look at it once. Yeah. Um, and then I and then I know what my character can do. Um, so were the signs that you included in assembly? Um, so are those actual British Sign Language signs? 
Yeah, the rule sign language, the British sign language signs. Because I had noticed that um, some of them were very close to American sign language, like lock and look, but some were uh, quite different, like stop and where, mm-hmm. um, you know, which you can see where where they're going. But um, so but in ASL, they are a little different. Um, we have a our, our, our daughter is 10 months old and we obviously don't know if she's speech delayed. Um, but we, we do sign with our infants specifically because it lets us talk to them before they can. Right. And, and it's lovely, um, having her be able to tell us that she wants to get up or she's all done eating or she wants more of something, uh, more of an orange. Or they're thinking um, about a monkey in the middle of dinner. Right. Right. <laughs> um, exactly. Um, and it's incredible to see the way her mind is already starting to take on concepts even though she can't vocalize them. Um, it really helps to think of her as a person as opposed to just a, a bundle of needs. Um, so we, we, were, we were quite fond of seeing ASL appear in your game. So that, that's wonderful to hear that it was intentional. So it sounds like every element of the design almost was designed around accessibility. So I wrote a blog post um, on it. So you also noticed that the roles have a gender balance as well, various other bits and pieces. So yeah, I, I wrote a blog post all about why our sort of our change from mini cards to big cards, the choices of the names and all those sort of things as well. And we did had a assessment done by Meeples Like Us and came out of, I, I was a little bit worried, but they, it came out as, um, yeah, we had done very well in terms of accessibility in the game as well. So that made, that was made me very happy. Did you meet Dr. Heron in person or did you just send it to him? Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to meet in person, um, but so I ended up sending it to him because we just never ended up quite meeting at cons. Oh, okay. He's done some great work in terms of uh, evaluating accessibility. Um if anyone's interested in that sort of thing, um, I love the way that he frames uh, even some of the things that you've mentioned, like font size, the right fonts to make things legible for people who maybe have difficulty reading. Um, he, ha- he has a lot of good information on his site, Meeple Like Us. I highly recommend having a look because it's just really quite interesting. So what is next? So it sounds like a game about landing. Is it going to follow the same format where you're using... Um, where you're using a limited hand of cards to make tough decisions? Yes. So I think if it's a, a trio of games, then it's good to try and bring in the mechanics that have been, I guess they're tried and tested now, but it, it links them a bit more. So you've got the thematic link and then you've got the some of the, the basic mechanic links or the player card, do what it says. But how the cards interact is quite different. So each game, even though you have those basic sort of mechanics of how to play being similar, the actual gameplay is very different. So this is all going to be about sort of matching and balancing. How much am I going to have to remember? Nothing. Oh, okay. That was my <laughs> that was my one resentment with a uh, sensor ghost is just maybe because of when we're playing it, but my mind is so fried from our day that when we finally got around to playing it i, was I can going, imagine yeah with uh, a 10 month old as well yeah I, I don't want to remember anything right now um so it, it, i was play testing it when um 
I had two children running around so I had to come up with lots and lots of concepts within the game to try and minimize memory in it so that if you basically stick to one flipping strategy you only ever have to remember your exceptions and not what you're actually doing and you're and that's why you've got the memory cubes to help you remember what your where your exceptions are which gets you down to just a few cards generally um which I think we felt was just about manageable but then again, they had familiarity with the deck as well. So it becomes a lot easier with repeated plays. Are you thinking of you'll that when this trilogy is finished, that you'll return to uh, something like the Maiden Voyage, where you're working with a longer form? I quite like the short form. Um, I, again, until I think I have two children at school, I don't think a longer form is feasible at all. Um, because if it, it a game that lasts 10 to 20 minutes, generally about sort of the, the 10, 15 minutes solo, it means I can get a playtest in session really quickly and easily. But sure. with something that takes 90 minutes, it just isn't practical. So that's going to have to wait another couple of years, I think. Mm-hmm. And I do have a game that I... It's, it's, a, it's a competitive card game, interestingly, that I played a lot when I was younger, but it doesn't seem to be very well known or very well played and I made a number of changes to make it better at lower player counts when I was younger interestingly so maybe the <laughs> assembly in the maiden voyage wasn't the first game I designed and so I would like to perhaps try and bring that game more to the modern day because it was one I have very fond memories of playing with my mum and my nan with and so that's another possibility it's uh, a pretty quick game it's, as I said it's a bit competitive but it's a very again it only might take 10 15 minutes so if yeah there's no illuminate there's no player elimination in it it's, um so yeah i'm just trying to improve that to be better um with given all the experience of modern day games than uh, an old card game might have and definitely make it much better at two players and my ultimate goal is to try and see if i can get a solo version of it as well so if I can get a solo version of it, then I can probably also make a co-op version of it too, which means then you get a competitive, a solo and a co-op version of the game. So that that's my my more ambitious aim, um, yeah. which would be what I'd like to perhaps do next if it works. Um, but yeah, so I've got this, the, the third one in the series and then this um, sort of traditional card game bringing it into the 21st century. So is it pure utility that you that the small design uh, format lets you play test and design more easily with little ones, or do you also, as an inventor and as a physicist, do you find elegance in those constraints? I I didn't think that I would like it to really start because we used to always play with um, much longer form games, but with children, generally you haven't got time for those longer games, and. Right. There is quite a challenge, as you said, designing something that's shorter because it's easy to design something long. It's not easy to design something that's concise. Um, so if you're, like, you're thinking about writing something, you can probably write something for ages, but getting that down to a much smaller word count is much harder, which is what I guess the game design is. So I quite enjoy designing within those constraints. And the more I've been designing in this sort of shorter form, the less... Uh, inclined I am to go back to the Maiden Voyage. I would like to finish it more just out of it was my first game and I'd like to try and finish it. But I've been trying to think, are there ways that that could actually be made shorter and smaller and in that way? And I also do think there's enough games out there that 
cater for parents that who can't necessarily manage longer games anymore but want something that isn't just um like equivalent to snap but something that has a bit more thinking but not too but not information overload right so yeah so at the same time i think it i think it'd be nice to have more games out there and given that we mostly play two player having games that work particularly well at two player as well it's good to have that because i think there's there's a need for games like that well thank you for joining us janice uh i won't take up much more of your time um, is there anything you would like to say in closing? Anything that you want to uh, talk about your games for our audience? Uh, I, no, I'm trying to think now. Uh, no, not really. I just, I just um, really, I appreciate people enjoying them. So uh, yeah, if, if you're enjoying them, let me know because it, it really does make our day. Um, so um, it's just been fantastic to make something that we've seen people wide and far enjoying, and that just makes me really happy. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, I will let you get back to Sammy and Kiki the kitten. Yes, uh, Kiki is about no, she's being lazy now. This is the, this is the laziest I've seen her all day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for, so much for your time. Uh, thank you for, your, for, for inviting me on.